0: Welcome to the Mentality Podcast. I am really excited to announce a new partnership for Mentality. I feel it really works with Mentality's message and both organizations go hand in hand. I recorded a podcast with a chap called Andrew Thomas a little while ago. And if there is ever to be a friend and someone you can rely on in the business world, it's Andrew. In our podcast, we talk about his life up to date. He's had many learning experiences. And in some contexts, You could say he's had one or two failures in which he's learned from to get to where he is today. He tried setting up a magazine celebrating 25 years of Glastow along with Michael Eavis. He worked for Wrangler Jeans as head of their UK marketing. But where he finds himself today is at Better You. Better You supported our first ever mentality retreat back in early 2018. And now I'm really, really glad to say that we are working together again Andrew came across magnesium in life-changing fashion 15 years ago. He found that incorporating magnesium into his life helped him ditch an inhaler which had been his crutch for most of his life. He then single-mindedly wanted to make magnesium available to the world in a supplement form. From this pursuit, Better You was born. Better You are an award-winning natural health brand. They specialize in pill-free supplementation of nutrients that have been underrepresented or simply omitted due to our modern diet and lifestyles, including transdermal magnesium and oral vitamin sprays. All of us guys at Leeds Rhinos have each had a locker full of Better You supplements to take daily, and I am back on the magnesium, religiously, for its help with migraines. Better You also have a range of oral sprays, including turmeric, Vitamins K, B, B12 and iron and many more. Better You have worked alongside the NHS launching Vitamin D Home Testing Kits too, and they use recycled and carbon negative packaging. Ultimately, they are a company with their values focused around positive innovation for their customer and the world. Their support allows Mentality to continue developing the conversation around mental health and I am so excited to see where the partnership will take us. This podcast was made available and supported by Better You. This is, I have to say, it's a bit of a bold statement, but this is my favourite podcast that I have recorded, especially one being over Skype. I felt me and Stephen connected on quite a lot, despite us being on complete opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of disciplines and physical professions. We talk about Stephen's stereotypically masculine background from his family being massively into motorsport and growing up in the western suburbs of Sydney in Australia and we also talk about how Stephen started picking up dance. We talk a little bit about how Stephen ended up playing a role in a fairy tale because Stephen went across from Australia to Switzerland at 17 years old, won the famous competition the Prix de Lausanne and then literally That day, he got told that he would be moving across to London and given the option to train and start training with the Royal Ballet. Not bothering going home to get all his stuff but to start a new life from that moment. He touches on the lessons that he'd learned from this experience and we uncover the dedication it takes to be a principal dancer at the Royal Ballet. Steven has had a lot of adversity with injuries and we compare anecdotes on that front and he talks about his experiences of snapping his achilles on stage in front of a full auditorium. We speak about differences in roles that masculinity has in both of our professions and we discover a lot more crossovers from our type of work than you could imagine. Enjoy the podcast. So, Stephen, really good to have you on, my mate. Really good to have you on. Um, glad I could talk to you today. I had, uh, yesterday, I had um, one of my former teammates, Jamie Peacock, um, former GB captain um, and, and rugby league player. Um, and I'm getting to, as I mentioned to you off Mike. speak to loads of different people across loads of different professions. Um, and I'm really, really looking forward to getting into this in specific because um, I sort of fell into the dance world myself uh, immerse myself into the dance, dance world in a, in a in a a sort of way because i i'm a partner of a contemporary dancer um, so hopefully i i can understand some of the terms that you'll say and and, and you know uh, pick out bits that, that that you do but i also respect massively um, how how you guys operate uh, whether it's contemporary dance or whether it's ballet and um you know, having that sort of insight as well as, as, as coming from, from Natalie and that sort of insight, insider perspective is really massive. Just how, how physically you guys are tuned and, and how well you operate on stage, but also the dedication, discipline and and what all that means. So hopefully we can get into a lot of that today. And, um, you know, mate, I'm, as I say, really happy that you've joined me chat thank you for having me
1: thank you Thanks <laughs> don't for worry on. i'm from a motorsport family so the whole <laughs> world of dance was completely new to me as well so i won't go into crazy terms or anything <laughs>
0: yeah that's brilliant you you know the levels you know the levels from from experience that's amazing Mate, and i guess i guess from that we could we could jump into that like your background and 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 the, the, mm. the family um relationships that you had and how you got into dance, um, and and yeah, talk a little bit about that, and because you're obviously an Aussie, um, and and obviously yeah. living over in London now, so you tell us a bit about your background coming up and in the motorsport dash of well, you
1: know, I grew up in Sydney, Australia. Um, not you know the the glamorous side of living on the harbour and going to Bondi Beach every day. That that was not my childhood. The we- the I grew western... up in the western suburbs yeah. of Sydney. Um, so. You know, as a kid, though, I had no idea that was my childhood and I loved every second of my childhood. Um, but my sister and I grew up at a racetrack. So my father was a drag racer. Uh, he's not an electrician by trade still. and uh, But he raced and he absolutely loved it. It was his life. My my mom and dad had their honeymoon at a racetrack. So, wow. I mean, you can't <laughs> get much more devoted <laughs> to, to the sport than that. And, you know, as kids, we hung out at the racetrack. My dad built so many bits and components of his race car himself um, you know he, he constructed a wooden manifold for the, for the <laughs> part of the engine and <laughs> it was the most unique um, you know car probably on the track but you know he used to win regularly and he was highly competitive but there was such a great family environment so the teams were in the same scenario you know lo- lots of families and kids and stuff oh, all right, yeah. and um, yeah I was surrounded by this competitive world and we used to watch a lot of videos my dad would get me videos of drag racing in america because in the states it's huge and uh, i followed it and still do religiously and loads of all my inspiration as a kid and still to this day came from these drivers you know there's like particular. i mean i'm sat here now with a, a poster of an old dragster behind me um, <laughs> yeah. all these drivers that had all these incredible stories and all these you know challenges thrown at them and Loads of stories of people being told that it's not possible, and they just dug down and were more determined than ever to, to make yeah. it possible. Yeah. Um, the poster behind me is of a female drag racer called Shirley Muldowney. In drag racing, there is no female category and male category. It's just if you can drive, doesn't matter what you are, who you like are, it. you get in that car and you drive it. Yeah. And uh, she was told in the early days, you know, it's not for you. It's not a, a female sport and all this sort of stuff. And she just battled and battled and battled. And she went on to win the, the championship three times and all this wow. sort of stuff. Um, yeah, she took, she never accepted no. <laughs>
0: She's done for a good Nesta. for women drivers then.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, another driver, John Force, he came, he grew up in a, a caravan park and, you know, didn't have, any of that sort of financial backing or support. And he's gone on to be the most successful driver across any form of motorsport. He's won the championship 16 times. His daughters have all raced and won championships and his son-in-law and all this sort of stuff. So those stories I grew up with and Mm -hmm. were inspired by, and obviously seeing my dad race and follow his passion. And my mom was like right into it all as well. And So my sister was actually about to do her licensing in, in the car that my dad had built because uh, she's seven years older than me. Um, but every time she went to do her licensing, it rained, and they don't do it in the rain, of course, because it's too dangerous. And after the third go, my mom said, you know what? I think it's a sign. Let's <laughs> Not <meant> to be. Let's <laughs> just step away. But um, she was a gymnast and a dancer, so that's how I got into dance, which is probably the most cliche way of getting into dance. Your sister does it, so you go along and try. Um, but that's what happened. I went along and said to my mom and dad, like, hey i I think i want to have a go at this age seven and they both said yeah great off you go do what you want like i was a really shy kid so i think they just thought it was a great opportunity to you know get rid of me for an hour (laughs) (laughs) go try and make Um, some friends yeah yeah and then that was it i walked into the studio and just went mental for an hour i felt like this tiger or something that had just been let off its leash and just I just went nuts for an hour and it was the most incredible feeling I felt free and I felt like you know I was this tiny scrawny little red-headed kid and I felt suddenly like I was this you know seven foot giant that was flying around the room it yeah. was the most incredible feeling and I obviously got hooked straight away and within I think it was about within two years, I was dancing six days a week. I was just totally nuts about it, wanting to do it all the time. So every day after school, I was taken to the studio, spent all day Saturday doing it. Um, and then Sunday would be at the racetrack with dad.
0: <laughs> wow, wow, that's that, that's amazing. Six days a week is, is well, I mean, I'm just thinking as you're talking there, like, that's that's a... a a massive amount of dedication but I guess at that age it was just fun it was just like what you went to do to like say feel free and to feel like mm. you jump around and, and go on the stuff and that's exactly well it's like a kid's playground isn't it and I'm just exactly. thinking yeah I'm just thinking in my head like people now they, they, they will try and go back to that you know like for, for things like Ido Portal and, and sort of movement culture that's mm. what they try and go back to now Um which is exactly what you were doing well you're doing still doing now Um yep. Uh, along with your rehab every now and then but you know you're still doing that sort of that movement that play that sort of expressing yourself in in sort of in the moment
1: mm. which is, is and pushing really- the boundaries as well like testing yourself you know like as a kid on a playground there's a climbing frame and there's always that bar that's a bit higher and you think oh yeah I want to get up to that top level you know oh, the big yeah. kids are doing it so I want to do it too and it's the same with like all of our professions, really, you know, as a dancer, you're always pushing the boundaries. Can I squeeze in an extra turn? Can I jump that bit higher? Like, can I balance the ballerina on one hand just a bit more off balance? Or yeah. How can I always push the boundaries? And same with you guys, you're always like testing yourselves, um, and it, it relates directly to being a kid again.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I think you- we
1: forget we forget that side of things. Obviously, you know, as you grow up, you you have to you have to grow up, and you start to learn the risks that are involved and you know obviously if you're on stage in front of a live audience or you're playing a match it's not really the time to start experimenting or playing around but you know in order to go to that next level sometimes you have to risk that and obviously it can pay off and sometimes it doesn't.
0: Yeah it's I find in specific in rugby it's a really really sort of it's a magic balance that you can get like in in rugby there's sort of how you can play is there's versions where you play really structured so you know everyone knows what's going on everyone knows the sort of um, position that you're going to get to on, on the field to play a certain play um, and even the other team will know do you know from previewing you um, but I feel like there's a balance of that that you need because everyone needs to know the sort of plan and and, and and the the route that you're going but then as you say that sort of feeling into like the moment or that expression or that experimenting is where the magic balance comes. And every every game I've played is where I feel like you don't even know you're doing it. It's yeah. like obviously you felt into that flow. You felt into that feeling. And I guess it is feeling into that feeling where you're feeling, you know, that invincible kid again and, and, and you sort of you're parking all the hang ups that you've got from getting injuries or from from falling off the top of the, the climbing frame or um, Exactly. And it's and it, it it's sort of it's sort of that balance, I guess, when you get older, like right. How do I tap into that? How do I make sure that I'm still able to, to play? That's that's it's the thing. feeling that
1: buzz of adrenaline again. Like, yeah, as exactly. a kid, as you get to that top level, you've got that slight nervous, edgy shake about you that, oh, I probably <laughs> shouldn't be up here, but I did it and it feels great. <laughs> and uh, it's the same, obviously, when we're on stage or on the field. Sometimes you get that rush and it's, you know, it's like a drug. It's yeah. it's addictive.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I guess, yeah, I, like I was thinking, I'm going to ask you a question a bit later on, which I'm going to always ask high performers and and people that I have on the podcast and and talk to. So, like for instance, I just started yesterday with Jamie Peacock, but I'll ask you a little bit later on. We'll park that and I'll, I'll save that for, till a bit sure. later on because um, we'll will we'll delay the satisfaction if you like. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so we, we, where are we at now? We're at when seven on six days, you actually. In the gym, in the gymnast, you're doing all this, and you, then you go into the motorsport supporting You dad in that family environment, which, yeah. which I, I imagine is is so brilliant to to be involved in. Um, and and what were the stages after that? I mean, obviously, you must have been feeling into your abilities, feeling how good you were at, 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 in the gym, and and sort of did you transition then into into dance into the dance world from there as well.
1: Uh, yeah, so I actually started straight away with dancing. So I, I watched my sister gym- do gymnastics, but she also did a bit of dance, and I I loved the gymnastics, but for some reason I was drawn more to the dancing. So I went straight into that. And yeah, what do you yeah, think that 89. was?
0: What do you think that was? Why you thought oh, I want to go and to to try that?
1: Do you? To be honest, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. I you know I hadn't seen ballet or anything like that. My dad you know, used to show me old films of Gene Kelly or Fred Astaire, but obviously not with any underlying intention that I would go into that world. It was just, you know, I think he liked some of those things. Um, Music was always quite a big part of our family, not classical music, but, you know, my dad was always listening to, you know, Joe Cocker and all these sort of people. And um, there was always like a lot of rock music and it was just music was quite a big part of our life. now, I guess my whole family is naturally quite, without any of them being in the world of theatre, they are quite a theatrical family, like there's quite a lot of larger than life characters. And, um, you know, one of my aunties who, bless her, and passed away only last year, was one of the most vibrant people I think I've ever come across in my life. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, I think those personalities, looking back, naturally rubbed off and, uh Um, something about the world of dance obviously appealed to me and uh, you know I yeah I I really got sucked in so by the age of nine you know I was dancing six days a week and I'd had my first taste of like dancing on stage in front of an audience um, with a group and then also by myself in competitions doing solos and I loved that mixture of feeling like a bit of fear but a bit of uh, power as well because you know age eight you're stood on stage by yourself and you have an audience in the palm of your hand you're 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 the you're the master for that you know minute or two minutes of your life and as a kid that doesn't really ever exist because there's always a parent or a teacher or something like this and suddenly you're there on stage and you're like the ringleader. it's like i could do anything <laughs> right now I could, I could jump off stage or yeah. I, could, I could literally do anything like just go mental um and I think as a kid, that's like an amazing feeling. And I, so I just did it more and more and more. And my teachers, they were incredible. They always, throughout the journey, um, they knew when they had taken me as far as they could. And they would hand me over to another teacher. And that teacher would then do what they could and hand me over to another one. Um, that's and that, really I think important, it's amazing. That yeah, that's an amazing quality for any teacher or coach to know, hang on, I have someone in front of me that, I actually can't help them as much as I would like to now. So I need to let them go. And uh, I was very lucky all the way through my, my training that that happened. And so basically at the age of uh, 14, 15, um, the Sydney Olympics happened uh-huh. <laughs> uh, in 2000. And I did the opening ceremony with uh, this, this um, huge scene and they had 2000 tap dancers. And uh, it was all centered around this group that have performed around the world called the Tap Dogs, and uh, so age fourteen, I was actually chosen to go with them and be in the middle of the two thousand tappers in the Sydney nice. opening ceremony. So it was quite a huge, um, you know, thrill for a fourteen-year-old. And so about a year later, I was sent to New York to do a little like week with them. Basically, I, I, I went over and had a go with the Tap Dogs. They were over in the States performing. Um, obviously with no intention of me doing it full time because I was a kid uh, but it was just for them to give me a taste of that life and I thought it was just spectacular I loved it And um, but at that age ballet had really started to you know, get a grip on me and I, I loved the challenge of it because ballet is so difficult you know it's, it's uh, without saying that it's right or wrong but there's a clear way that ballet should be done structurally and i you know i was always into architecture and um you know technical drawing at school and all that sort of stuff and so i guess that sort of anal side
0: sort of lined up
1: appealed with ballet yeah and uh, so at that age i had to decide like what are you going to do you go in the more balletic way or you're going to go sort of west end theatrical way so i chose ballet um but my parents obviously being as supportive as they were uh, couldn't afford to send me over to London, the other side of the world, to the Royal Ballet School, which is, you know, obviously one of the most prestigious schools, but it's also one of the most expensive schools on the planet.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And uh, so I was sent to Switzerland. There's a competition there called the Prix de Lausanne, mm-hmm. and without sounding like it's a a cattle call or you know a meat market for, <laughs> yeah. for ballet dancers, but yeah. it basically is. It's a chance for young students to go. And all the top school and company directors go and they watch and they offer, you know, scholarships or places into their companies. And uh, so basically it's competition and then you're ranked number one through to whatever. And I was ranked first. I got the gold. (laughs) So I got first choice of where to go. And the director of the Royal Ballet School was there and she said, listen, don't waste your money flying backwards and forwards to Australia. Tomorrow you just go straight to London. That's it so i just turned 17 and that was it i moved to london and i've never lived in australia since uh so half my life here half my life in australia it's um it all happened overnight you know i'd never i'd never been to europe before i'd never lived away from home um so suddenly i was in london by myself i was living in a hostel you've got to open a bank account you've got to cook clean um you know it's a whole whole new world yeah um, sure. But that was a big transition from you know nice, comfortable family lifestyle in the western suburbs of Sydney to suddenly living in central London. Um, yeah, you grew up very quick.
0: Yeah, so I mean, there's a few things on that, mate. I, I want to sort of, I want to stress to stress to people because I, you know, after after speaking to you a little bit, I've I've um, watched the performance at the Prix de Lausanne. And I'll stress to people how good that actually is. Like, um, and and you were seventeen at that age. So you were seventeen. Now. Yeah,
1: I was seventeen and literally selling my life for
0: that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> must have practiced that so much, mate. And and like that must have been well. It is the most pivotal moment in your life. I, I'd love to know, um, and I'd love to see if you can access this in your memory. But when when the director of the Royal Ballet has come up to you after you finish first and um and when she's told you that the next day you're going to be going to London you're going to be living there and you're going to be mm-hmm. training at the Royal Ballet which is steeped in so much tradition so much sort of um it, it's just it's just so famously known in in, in that world yeah can can you remember the face um or can you remember your mother's face after after going to tell her and being involved in that conversation
1: mm-hmm. yeah it was It's a very surreal moment, of course. Um, I want to rewind a bit because during that week that I was in Switzerland, I obviously knew I was under intense pressure because, and pressure put on myself, not by anyone else, because I wanted to go there. That was what I wanted to do. But I knew that if I didn't get that prize or a scholarship, that was never going to happen. It didn't matter (laughs) what I did, it was not going to happen. And uh, so I'd always obviously put myself under pressure but my mom and dad, obviously, so my mom managed to come with me. We managed to get her over. Um, she obviously felt insane pressure being that parent that obviously was as supportive as ever, but knew she couldn't make it happen herself. So she actually, bless her, had to have medical attention during that week because her blood pressure went through the roof. Um, and she's still on, to this day, she's on medication of some sorts. And... Um, which for me is an awful thing to live with because I know that I inflicted that.
0: So all the, the pressure like that is pressure in it to, to go yeah, over. Yeah, I and,
1: mean, as a and now that I'm a parent with three, I'm, I have three children. I, I get it. You yeah. do absolutely anything you can for those for those children. And she was doing everything she could, but also knew that what I really needed, she actually couldn't provide me. So poor thing. She um, yeah, she had to have medical attention and all that sort of stuff. Um, But when it happened and I was awarded this first prize and all this sort of stuff, I guess selfishly, I was just so focused on my own mission and what I was there to do that I hadn't really comprehended what it meant in the bigger picture, what that meant to my entire family. Um, Was I moving away for six months to do a little bit of training at a school? Was I going to go for a period of my life? Was I going to move there forever? I didn't even think of any of these things and I guess no young teenager should have to think of those things but obviously that's what my family were thinking and all this sort of things so um, yeah selfishly I think I was just overjoyed that I had achieved that particular goal but then my head works I guess which can be a positive but it can also be quite a a tiring negative (laughs) is that I always am probably thinking of the next goal Um, and that's not even a case of achieve one goal and then work on the next one when i'm working towards a goal i always feel like i already have another goal penciled in yeah yeah i I think you need that like to keep that drive but it's obviously it, it can get out of control sometimes so you you never stop and go you know what this is good doing doing well enjoy this moment for a day and then move on but um, I think that comes from early training as well, you know, like having teachers that were obviously so supportive, but never allowed you to get complacent or, okay, yeah, you did well in that competition, you know, age 10, but, you know, there's always someone better that can beat you next week at another competition. Or, you know what, you did well in your solo, but you, you still did this and this that needs work on. That was always the mentality, which I'm grateful for. But I think that also instills a bit of that never satisfied <laughs>
0: quality. The continuous treadmill of what is achievement um, and and uh, I guess the lack of appreciation and, and that's something that, that I've sort of thought about uh, quite a lot over the last few years I think and Natalie talks a bit about it linking in with the sort of environment for which you know, is in dance. It's the, always the the correction, always the sort of you need to do this right, and you sort of always focusing on on the the improvement. It's
1: always the negative. <laughs> exactly, always
0: the negative. Yeah, if you like, that's that's a better way to put it. Um, and 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 I guess I, I sort of see you know, well, very similar sort of patterns in the way that that I'd be coming up through the ranks in rugby. There's always the next, you know, there's from playing amateur. There's the scholarship. Then there's like the the foundation, what it used to be called, the eight teams, the reserves, the first team, you know, getting your way up. It's always like climbing the ranks and climbing the ranks. And it'd be interesting to see what you think in terms of when, because I've got like a question in my mind for when that appreciation should come in and and how, how that sometimes should tip the balance towards that compared to achievement. Because I think... You know, if you're always focusing on an achievement and you're never sort of stopping to realise, then you're probably missing out a little bit, but but then you think about the journey to get there. Yeah. You do you do need that sort of balance to be tipped a little bit towards more of the, the achievement, the striving and the struggling. Um so it'd be interesting to see what you, you think about that. And and um it's something that sort of I, I think about every now and then and um I'd think that I'm so sort of balancing towards appreciation a lot more and a lot healthier um, especially amongst adversity too um, which I've had a lot of with injuries it'd be interesting to see what you think in terms of that
1: yeah I actually had an experience last week tapping into this sort of discussion Um, I'm six months into uh, a rehab program because I had to have my Achilles reconstructed after snapping it on stage (laughs) and um, I asked my medical team um, the day of the surgery, to photograph the procedure, um, obviously with the surgeon's permission, because I wanted to see exactly what they were doing and how they were reconstructing it. And I think I was aware that it would help me visualize what was going on throughout the yeah. rehab program. And uh, it was obviously a huge reconstruction because I had, it wasn't a partial rupture, it was a complete tear. And they, yeah, anyway, I don't want to go into gory details, but. There was a hell of a lot of restructuring going on. (laughs) And uh, so anyway, working with the sports psychologist and the medical team and the surgeon and all that sort of stuff, um, I I finally last week saw the images, which is almost six months to the day. And I was ready to see them then. And it was great to see them because it made me stop for a minute and go, oh, wow. OK, what I'm actually achieving right now is actually remarkable.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wow.
1: Yeah. And, uh, the journey to this point is it's actually incredible. I, I, I actually did stop and go, okay, take a bit of the pressure off yourself for a few days. You're actually doing remarkably well. Um, and if I hadn't seen those images, I could easily have just started to go into a bit of a, a descent of, Oh, why aren't I achieving the next thing? And I need to be doing this. I need to be doing that. Um, and it was a great moment to actually go, Oh, maybe I'm, I'm maturing a little bit. Maybe I am growing up a little bit and I'm I'm having these moments of it's okay to acknowledge when something was good. Um, doesn't mean you're complacent or going to become lazy or someone else is going to overtake you. It's just you're doing it for your own well-being to go, hey, you know what? You are working your butt off. It's Okay have a glass of wine, have a night off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Just have a sit down um, <laughs> yeah, and just relax. Definitely. Mate, that's, it, it's so funny some of the things you say. You sort of, and I think that we'll probably tap into that, you know, what's required of a ballet dancer in terms of perfectionism and being anal as, as like you said for um, the improvements. Um, but yeah, you know, that's something that I've felt a lot and, and you, as a sportsman, I think you do and, and you've articulated it quite well there in terms of how even if you are achieving or, or if you, you you're doing something good that you still have that sort of you, you still think that you need to look through the lens of um, right someone's gonna get better than me or I'm not working hard enough or it's like you almost have that that um, preset that you can you can put in place to, to think about it all um, when in fact, having that all the time is not, is not helpful. Um, it's sort of like unnecessary pressure, I guess, um, which is sort of, you know, I've filtered through my mind quite a lot. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm in a similar position to you at the minute. Like I've had a really bad concussion. Um, and I've, it's about three and a half months since, um, having the, uh, the, the knock on the head and going into everything after that, you know, the, it's, it's symptoms like you know, slurring your words, um, light sensitivity, noise sensitivity, mood swings, um, you know, and, and all this sort of stuff. And because, and you're talking about measuring like the improvement for your Achilles, which is quite quite easier than my, a lot easier than mine because it's a physical thing. For mine, I'm like you know, if I'm if I have a migraine through the day, I'm like oh fuck, like. Mm-hmm. When is it actually and then that it sets better? you back.
1: Mentally. Exactly,
0: exactly, and and it's like not linear, you know. There'd be a, a good day, a bad day, but exactly like that that thing, that sort of preset or that mindset that you need to have is to actually think when you're going into that or slipping into that sort of pattern that you can have. I guess to go right. Well, let me look through the the journals I've kept. Let me look, as you say, look at the the um, the images and and sort of measure it up and it's quite nice to be able to do that. And I do, I do think that you you touching on something there. It's probably with experience. It's probably with with noticing that you can adapt how you're um, getting through it with your mind and how you're getting through certain stuff. And I think it's all really valuable for, for people to, to understand and, and listen to.
1: Definitely. And I think also it's important for, for people to acknowledge that you know many people who are naturally driven have that mentality of, oh, pull yourself together, just get on with it just do it. Oh, you've got a bit of pain. You're fine. Push through it. Or, you know, oh, I'm a bit worried about this. Oh, pull yourself together. Why are you worried about that? Like, just get on with it. And to be honest, I've always lived sort of by that rule, because I wouldn't have got to where I got to without that mentality. Um, You know, I would not have stepped on stage age 17, knowing that it was virtually a career opening or ending opportunity. Um, You know, if I overanalyzed things, I would never have stepped on stage. I just, went for it. It's like, of course you can do this, go for it. Um, but obviously as you become professional and you learn more about whatever it is that your profession is, um, you you become more equipped with more tools and how to, how to present yourself or how to act. Um, and each injury has proven to me that it's not a case of just grit your teeth and push through. Um, but this last injury in particular, didn't matter what I wanted to do. There was no way I could carry on. My Achilles was detached. Yeah. My body completely said, <laughs> yeah. stop, what are you doing? You like, had to give in. My you body to... cannot do this anymore. Yeah. And um, It's fascinating, the power of the mind throughout this whole recovery process because in the initial three months, I wasn't allowed to leave the house. It was autumn and winter and um, it was too dangerous to be on crutches with leaves everywhere and the the cases of, Resnapping your Achilles straight after it's been reconstructed. Um, it's it's actually relatively high. So there was just no need to take any risk. So I started my lockdown months before the world started their lockdown.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. Practicing.
1: <laughs> and um, so each week I was visited by, um, you know, the main guy who's looking after me throughout this process. So he's our clinical director at, at the Royal Ballet. And he would come to the house, and guaranteed, and this might sound ridiculous to some of your listeners, but every time he knocked on the door, my foot started to sweat. And it was a guarantee. As soon as I heard the knock on the door, my brain obviously said, Oh, he's here and he's gonna he's gonna wanna touch the foot, he's gonna want to look at the wound, he's gonna want me to move it, he's gonna want me to do something. And my brain went into complete overdrive and protective mode. And of course, that was its way of releasing its, you know, um, emotion, I guess. And my foot would just start dripping. It would just start sweating. And uh, even still to today, um, sometimes I'm having my sessions all through Zoom now with the medical team. And uh, sometimes when they set a new task or a new challenge for me, I feel it. My foot just starts to swell again. And uh, that's obviously the brain and the power of the uh, our mental health. Um, and I have had to learn to listen to it rather than going back into the old mentality of shut it down. Don't listen to it. That's rubbish. That's like that's just people making up stuff. Um, no, actually. It's real. It's really real. And when you see your foot sweating then you have no control <laughs> yeah, over it. It's actually um, in front
0: of your eyes and not, not something that's like happening in the Exactly. Head. And yeah. it was the
1: middle of winter as well. As if my foot sat <laughs> there sweating. So it's not like I can even blame the heat.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, that's that's amazing. I mean, just before we, we, we talk about about some other stuff, could you talk about the the experience of being on stage when when that happened and then that's led into before this, like and, and, and how it happened, what, what was the movement and
1: Yeah. So last October, I was uh, getting ready to go on stage at the Royal Opera House, uh, a ballet called Manon. So it's, uh, you know, the dramatic love story. And I was the the lead male. And um, this performance was actually my first performance back um, after a procedure. I had to have up till that point. I'd had three procedures done um, to try and correct an issue in the Achilles region. I had three procedures within the space of twelve months and uh, that involved having my plantaris cut out and some other keyhole surgery down in that region, uh, superficial bursa removed, all this sort of stuff. Um, so the surgeries, you know obviously were were decent sized surgeries, but they were not huge surgeries. Um, and then so anyway, I built up and I got back on stage after each surgery, but this particular time, it was after the third procedure, I'd had the summer break to rebuild again. And uh, so it was very excited to be back on stage. I was still in pain though, the, the issue was not resolved. And uh, anyway, uh, managed to go on stage and finished act one. Uh, act one's the probably the most demanding part. And I, I was delighted that I'd been on stage and coaches and all that were very happy and you know supportive. Uh, so in the interval, refreshing and all that getting ready to go on went on for act two got halfway through act two thought wow i'm feeling at ease i felt like i relaxed into it the the hype and pressure of oh he's back on stage was disappearing and i was just me out there doing my thing and uh, there's a scene change and i went on stage and i felt i had a genuine moment of okay i'm finally back i can get on with this now here we go and uh, I do a lot of visualization, which I'm sure you guys do in sport and stuff as well. And uh, sometimes when you're on stage, you, you visualize how you want to do something just before you execute that step. And uh, of course you you, know, you usually visualize it in a fantasy land where it's the best you've ever done it and all this other sort of stuff. And uh, at this particular moment, I was doing this visualization as I'm dancing and stuff and things were happening. I was doing things going, Wow, okay, I didn't know I could actually do that. Oh, oh wow, okay. Keep going, keep going. And I genuinely had this moment of wow, I just did that. And I took off for a jump. And I I thought I tripped over a little, you know, block of wood. We have these little wedges that they stick under sets to stop them sliding around. And it sounded like I tripped over a, a block of wood. It went. Doo-doo. And uh so of course I tried to carry on, but didn't have a leg to stand on. And uh the audience knew what had happened before I even knew it was all a very surreal moment stood in the middle of the Royal Opera House stage full orchestra playing with two and a half thousand people watching you and uh, I couldn't do a thing so I had to give the signal to stage management and the curtain came down and uh, unfortunately our curtain is not soundproof so I then proceeded to Scream at the top of my voice because it felt like someone had got a knife and just sliced through my achilles and uh, unfortunately you know i I wasn't screaming out nice child friendly words, so the whole audience had to sit there in silence, listening to me scream at the top of my lungs, um, which was obviously a mixture of pain and fear because I was terrified like of what was going on. I looked down and could see. Um, I had tights on, of course, and I could see uh, where my Achilles was, that it was no longer there. It looked like someone, it looked like I'd bitten a chunk out of my Achilles. There was a clear cut out of my Achilles. And um, yeah, that was a terrifying moment. of course, your brain instantly says, I'll never dance again. Um, our, Our profession, as cutthroat as it sounds, you know, the old saying, the show must go on. Um, the show had to go on. People have paid good money to come and watch a performance at the Royal Opera House. So within 20 minutes of me snapping it, the curtain went back up with another dancer to replace me. I was carried back to the dressing room because without sounding blunt, I'm useless then because I can't do my job Uh, just as you are on the field. If you can't do your job on the field, you're useless to the team at that point. Um, And so within 20 minutes, the show carried on um the surgeon had already informed my whole medical team exactly what to do we knew when i was going to have surgery and um what the best thing was to do at that point there's no point going to hospital now is stick him in a boot and surgeon will see me tomorrow um and yeah then i had to obviously i got home so you know colleague of mine who's part of the medical team uh came home with me and um My wife was at home with our three kids. They were all in bed. And, uh, yeah, there I am on crutches. And the next morning, of course, I didn't sleep all night. And the next morning, the children come running downstairs. And it was a great realization and a good reality check because, uh, you know, currently I have loads of facial hair. But for that performance, you have to be a young college boy. So I was all cleanly shaven and all that. And I hadn't been cleanly shaven for quite a few months up until then. And the first thing the children said when they saw me, and I'm there on crutches, and probably looking like death because I hadn't slept, they looked at me and said, oh no, what happened to your beard? (laughs) And it was the perfect thing that could have happened in that scenario, because of course, you know, me being a dancer, and you know, I've just snapped my Achilles on stage, um, your little world is the most important thing to you in the world. (laughs) And then my children said, oh, no, actually, who cares that you stood there like on crutches in a boot? More importantly, where's your beard? Oh, (laughs) no, what happened? And it was wonderful because then I just went in through to the kitchen on the crutches. And, okay, life carries on. Let's get breakfast going. And, you know, my daughter had to go to school and all this sort of stuff. And, um, yeah, it was I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It was horrendous. It was absolutely horrendous. Um, mixture of, you know, humiliation, of course you're there, you look like an absolute tit in front of two and a half thousand people. Um, anger, because I, you know, I had literally been killing myself over the the 15 months leading up to that, having surgery, getting back, coming stronger, have another surgery. No, it's not fixed. Come on, get stronger again, have another surgery. Okay. I'm really strong. I'm still in pain, but I'm going to do this. So I was angry. It's like, what am I doing? I'm, you know, I wasn't able to go for long walks because I was in so much pain, but I was still performing. So I couldn't chase after my children and things like this. And you just think, what are you doing? What are you doing? So I was humiliated, but I was angry. Um, but then I got this rush of relief. I I genuinely felt relieved that it had snapped because, There was still uncertainty over what the actual issue was down there. And uh, the surgeon said to me, which was another great thing, I'm so sorry this has happened to you, but I genuinely think it's a blessing. We can clean it all out, we're gonna reconstruct it, it'll be stronger, it'll be reinforced, and it will probably erase all those other issues that were already there. And I went into surgery with that mentality. I thought, wow, okay, this is actually an opportunity to uh, turn this whole thing into a, an incredibly positive experience, rather than oh, his career is over. Uh, no, we're tidying up things in there, and I'm going to come back stronger. And you know, the time off you have off stage, you have to look at it as well. That's extra time I get at the end of my career. So uh, I tried to go into surgery with that mentality, and um, yeah, you know, of course, don't get me wrong. I have days where you know you just you want to headbutt the wall <laughs> yeah, i feel you mate. i feel you on that Met <laughs> my head worse you know,
0: so.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to yeah well, you need to not headbutt the wall <laughs> yeah. um but you know you have to you have to make a decision don't you am i going to look at this scenario as an absolute negative and that's just going to make the whole situation harder or can i actually find a whole bunch of positives to help me combat all the negatives that i am going to come across along the way because let's face it no rehab journey is smooth um and that's the path i've chosen so and i need to do that for my children as well you know they need to know that you know shit happens sometimes
0: <laughs> yeah mate for sure that there's so much that i want to add into that and talk about um i don't i don't we, we could be here for a long time i don't know i don't know for <laughs> time mate but we'll see how we go um yeah the 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 concept of getting a big injury um, and I've got a massive sort of similarity in in, in this aspect. Back in 2015, um, I'd had a full season um, coming back after a a tough injury that I had to deal with, um, with my shoulder. I came back and and sort of um, got through a bit of adversity, um, you know, physically, but also mentally that came with it um, back in 2014. Came back 2015 and the short version of it was, I was sort of playing to be the best player and, um, in my position in the league and um, we're stringing games together, you know, consistently playing well. Um, managed to win a Challenge Cup at Wembley and then we um, we uh, we were on to do the treble as a team. Uh, at Leeds Ryan were on to do a treble, which was like, you know, sort of like class to be impossible and stuff. So, so this game we're playing over, um, against Huddersfield it was, and it was the second. It was to win the second trophy, to clinch the second trophy, really on the way to the treble. And um, there's a background of that that day, like you know, a really emotional day. Um, I actually buried my nana on the same day of that game, over in Salford. Oh, um, yeah, the day before, and I remember going over to to the game, thinking, right, well, you know, I know why, I know my reason to play well, I know my reason to be the best player on the pitch. And I know, um, you know where where that sort of emotion is going to lie, and and um, ended up scoring a try in like the first ten minutes, and um, it was sort of like written in the stars. You know, you sort of have that, like you say that, that idea in your mind of how it's going to go, and and when you're in that yeah, flow, it becomes
1: and, an out of body experience.
0: Exactly, exactly, and it's like you know the you know the script, you know the sort of the way that that you can perform to that, and then it was it was four minutes before the end. Um, I did my ACL, like I took a ball in and, and, and I did my ACL, which obviously, you know, you'll how bad an injury that is. Um, and I sort of hobbled off the pitch, went into the change rooms. was sort of left on my own while the doctors were doing stuff and physios were doing stuff. Um, And obviously we, we were a few points behind here. But after, the, after that point, after me going off injured and I was sat there looking at what looked like a, an inflatable knee, on the physio bed, um, we scored in the last second um, to clinch the 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 trophy, um, like a, a mesmerising try, like an unbelievable try. Um, I'll have to send you after the after we finish the the clips of it and stuff. Um, but I missed it all. I was like in the change rooms, like on my own, in between doctors and physios coming in. I missed it all, and 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 the gravity of the situation there. You see where the, the curtain goes down, but then the <laughs> curtain comes back up. It's very, very similar in, in the way that you think, oh my God, um, here we go, this is this is a big injury, this. And that was the first time where we're like, talking a bit about this stuff, when we might get onto a bit more, where I thought, right, well, the mindset that I've had, which is stringing out the achievements, striving, struggling, keep looking forward, keep looking to the next thing, um, that just, it it wasn't serving me, and especially in that moment, looking ahead to what was definitely an ACL injury, and having all the emotion, all the emotion going around, we we just won the league leaders' seal. We just won, um, you know, the, the second trophy on, to, on the way to being a treble. I were out with it the last bit, Um so yeah, like that's that's me speaking in in relations to you, talking about the curtain call and, the mm-hmm. and yeah, it down. it's a
1: direct it's, link. It's direct link. Yeah, whether it's dance or rugby motorsport you know it's all the same <laughs> yeah
0: yeah it's like you know one minute as you say you're like in the in the zone you're in the in the arena and and you you're um you're doing everything as planned but then it takes that one Ach- achilles snap that one um acl snap to to put you in a different place mentally and and, and physically as well um so there's a there's a lot on that, mate. There's a lot on um, on that, and 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 I was thinking as well, like, so I, I do quite a lot of reading. and i will be reading some some stuff, um, and it's talking about like the ways that it, this is an extreme example, but it says like it's some psychiatrist or yeah, it's some psychiatrist over in America saying that the um, the biggest source of suffering is the lies that we tell ourselves. Um, and I was just thinking in terms that popped to my mind and that's an extreme example and, and and probably too extreme for what you're talking about, but you felt a lot of anger um with 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 the injury and 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 sort of like I imagine that built up quite a lot. Do you know with the niggles that you're having and and the cause I, I can relate firsthand, the niggles, the sort of the thinking you're good, the, the being pulled back straight away, not having the reality go the way that you planned it. Um Was there a lot of niggles and a lot of 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 sort of frustration in that sort of period when you were having the operations, the things that you thought were going well, and then I can imagine that that sort of relief where you think, right, well, ground zero now, the only way to go up is 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 to get this fixed properly. Um, Am I touching on something there?
1: Yeah. So when um, you know the initial you know awareness that there was something really wrong down there. Uh, happened. It was summer 2000 and was it? 2017, yeah 2017 Um, and I was in Japan performing and I needed to do seven performances in a row and after the first performance um, I felt the next morning when I woke up I could hardly walk. There was something really wrong down in that region Um, my ankle had been tight for a few weeks leading up to that, but, you know, there's always something stuck or tight or whatever that you're always getting treated. Um, and I could, I literally could not walk down to breakfast in the hotel. I shuffled down there. I thought, what am I going to do? Um, but of course you go into the show must go on. And so I took every anti-inflammatory and painkiller I had in my, my case and, Completed the seven performances, which now I know obviously that that was (laughs) the most (laughs) stupid decision ever. But um, at the time, you do what you think is best, and I had a responsibility to do that, and so I I did that, and I was able to still perform at a level that I was happy with. Um, It was then our summer break, so I thought, you know what, I've got three weeks off where I'm, I'm not dancing, I'm not doing anything physical this will go away. It'll calm down. We have scans and it'll all be fine. Um, of course it didn't. And uh, the season started and I was scheduled to do some really cool things with a choreographer in America who's like a rock star of the dance world. She's choreographed with all the greats and she hadn't been over to the UK for a very long time. And she was creating a piece for myself and a ballerina, uh, huge honor. Uh, and I was not going to let that to be taken away from me and, so uh, I
0: and what's her name I, just for all the ballet fans uh,
1: yeah so Twyla Tharp created the ballet right me. cool and she uh you know she's created all the great works for Baryshnikov and all these legends and um so anyway I took more and more and more painkillers and anti-inflammatories and um it got so bad to the point where you know I, I literally could not walk I was shuffling along dragging my foot um, I couldn't train normally. I couldn't do, you know, I couldn't do anything that was purely not necessary. Mm-hmm. So I I would rehearse with this choreographer, and then literally hobble home, sit with my foot in ice, take all the medication I possibly could. Um, I could hardly interact with my kids because I couldn't move. Um, it was ridiculous. It had reached a ridiculous point. Um, but I did the performances. Um, And then, yeah, uh, after those performances finished, there was the opening night of the Nutcracker and it was being cinema, you know, streamed to cinemas around the world. And I was cast to do the opening night and I thought, I'm in so much pain. I've come this far. I might as well just do this one performance and then I will go and have it all checked. I did the performance. I don't know how. I watched the video and you can see that I can barely walk off stage after a solo. I don't know why. I put myself through that. Uh, Anyway, so the next day it was all scanned and, um, you know, the medical team looked at it and just said, no, 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 this is bad. (laughs) You know, know, this is really bad. Um, And so, yeah, that was, it was probably really, um, you know, people listening will think that that was such an immature approach to that scenario. But the dancer's career, like many athletes, is also short. And I knew that those particular opportunities were not coming back around the corner anytime soon. And um, you, I always have that hope as well that you wake up the next day and oh, when I wake up in the morning, it will feel a bit better. Um, but of course, it was not getting better. I was damaging things more and more and more. And of course, overcompensating with other parts of my body. So God knows what else I was damaging as well during that process. Um on top of all the medication I was taking. So then obviously I went through all these procedures and each procedure I went into, I went in with full hope that this is it. This procedure is gonna solve the issue. And you go in with those insanely high expectations that the surgeon is God and oh they'll fix everything. Um, But of course my issue, because I did carry on dancing through pain was not a simple scenario. It was not one thing that, that was an issue I had about four major problems in that region. So each procedure, looking back, was a chance for them to try and rectify one of them. Um, but I got back on stage in between each time. And yeah, I think by the time my Achilles snapped, the amount of rage that was existing within me, um, was, you know, I can't describe the levels of rage. You know, I, I was, I feel like I was frothing at the mouth. I was so angry. You know, I had, I felt like I had done everything. I had, I would followed every textbook. I had done every protocol and more. I had followed any medical advice, any dietary advice. Um, you know, I was even sacrificing, going to a playground with my kids and things like this. Um, so yeah, the anger was, was off the chart, but then that relief washed over me and, you know, like you said, it's a clean slate. It's a chance to press reboot, and that's what we're doing.
0: Yeah, yeah, mate. That's that's true. A lot of things that I relate to what you're talking about there, in, in the sort of the the midst of, of, of injuries and and the sort of, I guess you, are twisting and turning and, and trying to get back well on the on the field or on the uh, yeah or, you know back on back in the um on the stage too. So it's 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 very similar. Um, and, and I guess we could talk a little bit about. The stuff in between there, like I, I, feel like a real sort of similarity there. Like the, you know, rugby players are considered to be tough and 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 to 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 play on, like you say, to play on with injuries and to, to go out there and, and play with, you know, um
1: everything strapped up and your exactly. eye hanging out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly, exactly that. Um, and and it, it's 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 a funny thing because you mentioned there, you mentioned the. You'd complete a, a you know an act of 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 the ballet. Um, but then you'd struggle to walk off. I always found it. I always find it fascinating because, I mean, I, you know the, the one the one that rings with me is I played um, a final the week after dislocating a shoulder. I got it put back in and played the final, um, and and it's like the pain is not. It doesn't exist, like so. You're, you're talking when when you're doing the act, or you you know you're in the middle of, of dancing. It doesn't exist when you're in between them. But as soon as you're back into the sort of everyday waking consciousness, the pain is bad. The pain's excruciating. You can feel it. Um, I always find that really fascinating. I don't know if it's just that pain receptor or something mm. doesn't, doesn't switch on when you when you've got that adrenaline or the you know yeah.
1: That, We've always got a gauge that. You know, obviously, if you've got niggles and pain, if it goes away when you're on stage for that period of time, it's okay. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um,
1: But at this point, it had gotten so bad that I was aware of so much pain, even whilst I was on stage with full adrenaline. I was medicated to my eyeballs, but I was still feeling every single bit of pain every time I landed, every time I jumped on it. you know i i must have looked like a drug addict cuz my eyes were all bloodshot and i literally had to time my warm up literally to the seconds so that i knew right i'm starting to warm up i'm i'm starting to build i'm starting to build i need to get from my dressing room to the stage that's about you know 50 steps so i had to equate that i need to step 50 times to get there because I knew if I went too soon, I'd be stood there and it would be getting cold and it would be getting stiff. Um, it was so ridiculous that, you know, no one should ever have to <laughs> to be in that state. But that was my choice. I wanted to do those shows. So, um, yeah, it, performing with pain um, was the clear indication that, yeah, you're really not you're
0: not right something needs to be tidied up um, yep. that, that's interesting mate and just touching uh, if we touch a little bit on like the rehab journey some of the things we, we, you spoke about you spoke about the, like the feeling the anger um, as a massive massive level um, and you spoke about like different emotions um, you know in between the niggles and stuff um, just like again I've, I've been doing a lot of reading and stuff and, and it's more to feel those emotions rather than to like took him away and, and you were talking a bit about earlier, like the real, you know, when, when, when the when the director comes around, you know, your, your foot's starting to to take on that sweat and have its own little yeah, yeah. attack. Um so it's it's interesting to talk about and, and it's really interesting dynamic in, in the fact that I'm a rugby player and, and you're a ballet dancer. We've shown the sort of similar types of getting on with the the pain, getting on with the um getting on with the show, I guess, um and keeping doing it through the pain. Um how 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 has your mindset evolved? We spoke, we touched on it a little bit earlier, but how has it evolved in terms of um, giving into the emotion or giving into what you need to feel or the work with a sports psychologist, like addressing stuff that you should really address and not letting it? Is, is there anything that, that, that you can you can think of that there's an example of that?
1: Yeah, the you know tapping back into what I said earlier about having that mentality of uh, put yourself together, you're fine. Um, I think that, unfortunately, I think that's quite a a male trait. I hate, like, doing the whole male-female thing, you know, coming from a motorsport family where the men and women raced against each other. But I feel like I've seen that a lot in, you know, some of my colleagues, obviously, that are guys, that they just, "Ah, I have to just do this. I have to crack on. I have to crack on. Um, The ballerinas in my world, I think, they just embody that all the time. Like they're literally destroying their feet. And yeah. <laughs> I think that, that is their norm. Like they just, you know, my wife has given birth three times and got back on stage and, you know, seeing what that's done to her body each time. And she just cracks on like, this is what I'm doing. And, and just does it. Um, I think that is, you know, a dancer mentality, male or female, but men in general, I feel like in society do have this mentality of, you know, just pull your head in and just get on with it, you know, don't complain, just, um, you know, don't show weakness, don't show that, uh, you know, you might have an issue or whatever. And uh, working with a sports psychologist has really um, opened up, you know, different thoughts for me. I know I've worked with the same sports psychologist for, you know, over a decade now, Brilliant. Yeah. And um, but this particular process... You know, I've been in touch with her far more than any other procedure or any phase of my career because, you know, it's quite simply the biggest challenge I, I will have to face up until this point. Um, and of course, I'm saying, of course, I will dance again and I will come back stronger and bigger and better and blah, blah, blah. But there's still no guarantee. There's still no certainty that that will happen. So, of course, I'm battling with that every single day and uh, communicating that with her. Um and initially I had to battle that natural mentality of, oh, pull yourself together. You don't need to, To what are you wasting time, like sitting down talking to somebody about this? I had to really work on just simply getting over that hurdle. Um, but then I started to realize, you know what, there's, there's actually so much benefit in this. Like even if you're not just speaking to a sports psychologist, but speaking to yourself, acknowledging, you know what, I'm not actually feeling that right about this or, and uh that's uh, without sounding corny it's actually okay to to acknowledge that and to feel that way it doesn't mean that you know i think in the sports world and and very much so which people probably won't imagine but very much so in the world of dance um i think people are afraid to admit that they're anxious about something or um uncertain about something or actually i have niggles and injuries. Because they're worried that people will see you as weak or unreliable or "Mm, let's not actually cast that person because they said they've got a bit of a niggle. So we're just going to wipe them out and we'll put someone else there. So there's that fear of always being replaced because let's face it, there is always someone younger who can do something better than you. That's just life. That's evolution. Um, So I think there's that fear of actually admitting it, even if you feel like you're admitting it to yourself, Uh, being open with the people around you as well and, uh, you know, I'm really trying hard to to be open as much as I possibly can about what I'm going through um, so that the next generation of dancers and also the management around the world who are involved in the dance world um, can look at my particular situation and go, "Oh, okay, yeah, he's like gone through this injury, but it doesn't mean that he's not reliable it doesn't mean that he's weak Um, if anything I actually think he's a far more reliable candidate because he's going to be honest with us and if he does have a niggle he'll tell us this is what's going on so today I'm taking control of the situation you know in rehearsal I'm not going to do this and this and this because I'm going to protect myself so that I can then deliver the best show possible tomorrow or the next day or whatever like that Um, so it's just changing the psyche behind it all I think and working with you know people that are sports psychologists or colleagues that have gone through a similar situation, um, you know, or someone in a completely different field, like talking with you today, our worlds on paper appear to be, you know, light years away from each other, but they're not. They are directly parallel in so many, so many ways. And uh, it can be so helpful for people just to share that inside knowledge, um, simply just so you can go, oh, you know what, I'm not the only one. Like, yeah. This is this is totally normal. What I'm feeling, or <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it, it, it just doesn't it, make me weak.
0: <laughs> yeah, it gets rid of that 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 guilt or that shame. Don't it? I, don't it? I guess for like. You don't need to add those on top of it, like for when people are feeling like they've got niggles, or you know, feel like they don't want to say something to be appeared fussy or weak, or you know, it, it sort of eradicates the fact that they feel shame or feel guilt, and they can feel normal about it. It becomes normalised, and like you say, the the doorway for you has been opened, and, and for me as well, speaking to speaking to sports psychiatrists too, um, it opens up the doorway for you to be able to address the parts where they aren't helpful. Um, and and take the weight away from the the thoughts and the worries that that don't help you. In fact, and and or maybe to pull the stuff that that, that is helpful out of it, and to understand it. Um, and that's that's a really good thing. And like you say, not just from speaking to a sports psycho t- uh, psychiatrist or psychologist. If people like me and you have the understanding, and and that sort of goes on to the people around us, teammates around us, you know, um, and and the people that work with us that sort of filters its way through to, a, to evolve, an evolved system and an evolved way of thinking. And uh, you'd hope a, a more happier and um, better performing world, better performing sport, better performing art world as well, um, which mm. is which is really interesting. And, and um, yeah, I, I think
1: that's... I think that's, also just sharing between the different worlds as well is something that we all don't do enough. You know, I I've, I've worked many years ago very closely with a world champion swimmer, um, which, you know, again, people might laugh at, but sharing like Pilates sessions together and sharing insights and like little things like he was trying to, you know, speed up his time by like, you know, thousandth of a second or something like this. (laughs) And so I was sharing little things that I do perhaps, you know, with my feet that he was unaware of or things like that. And just talking openly about certain issues and how you're coping with it and how you're dealing with it and different pressures and things like that um again world champion swimmer and principal dancer with the royal ballet you would not think what what are the comparisons um but you know i could write a book simply on those sessions um of the insights that were shared and uh, hopefully you know more and more professions will start to do that and um it's only going to help everyone it's you know it's it's, a, it's not looking at the world of dance and going oh uh, that's not for me or I don't you know I'm not from that world and and same with rugby you know it's it's not looking at that going oh no that's that's for those people yeah, um, yeah. you know it's world it's <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah we're all living our lives so it's like learning from each other really
0: we all we all have a mind that sort of brings us all together that's and, and and like you say the world champion swimmer um you know us two I guess is sort of shares that same lens of how we look at life and and, and how we see to achieve and, and to practice and to to get better um which is which is the biggest sort of um similarity I guess too. and yeah I think we should we should form a, a coalition mate we should form a coalition exactly. of of the sim- similar thinking minds it'd be uh it'd be really interesting that um on the back of that mate you you mentioned a bit earlier with um you know differences between males and females, and how you see, you know, in the ballet world, it's pretty similar for, you know, just cracking on and just getting on with this stuff, not wanting to be seen as weak or, uh, and stuff like that. In terms of, of, of masculinity and, and being a man, you've you've obviously got the backdrop of the motorsport um, and you've got the backdrop of, of, of being over there in, in Oz and, and, and living that life, but then at the same time, going in towards a dance world. What what um what's your views on, on masculinity? Played out to you in, in your head? How was that worked in, in in you know growing up and, and is it something that you found to be sort of really helpful to have both insights and, and combinations? Or is it been a bit like, oh you know, this 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 bloke's acting this way, this bloke's acting that way. Is it is it is it be a really interesting thing to find out that?
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously there, uh, there are so many stigmas with, um, you know, if if motorsport is for men and, you know, ballet is for girls and all this sort of stuff. Um, but I think having that exposure to, you know, the drag racing world at such a young age where men and women were doing the exact same thing, it was, they didn't care what you were, it was just, you're either good at it or you're not. And, uh that was just normal for me i i i didn't ever think like oh she is driving that car it was just oh who's driving yeah, you know? yeah. um and so i guess that normalized it a little bit for me not necessarily focusing on oh that's a masculine sport or that's a feminine sport um obviously you know when i started to dance there were far more girls in the studio than boys you know they're probably A handful of boys and then you know 60 or 70 girls Um, but again I think growing up I was lucky because uh, one of my dance teachers was was a man so that was just normal Um, and then obviously when you get into the professional world like in a ballet company it's 50% men and 50% women because you need to be able to partner up and you need to tell certain stories in our world history and things like that. Um, So it's an odd, I don't know, it's an odd um, thing for me to process, really. I've I've genuinely not really sat down and thought what masculinity means to me in that context. But I was lucky to have, you know, my father, for example, who at the racetrack at a young age, um, some of the drivers came up to him and said, what's this? We hear your sons dancing. And um, my dad said to them, yeah, he's he's really, really good. You should come and watch him. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the end of the discussion. Like, it was never mentioned again. And, oh, yeah, that's Phil, his son dances. And this is this and this is that. Like, it was, that was just the new norm. And um, when I started high school, you know, scrawny little thing, um age 12 and group of 16 year olds who at the time i thought they were these huge tanks towering (laughs) over me i was confronted with the same scenario what's this we hear you do ballet oh wow and i thought oh man i don't want to face the next four six years yeah being bullied and i could just picture my dad so i just looked them in the eye and said yeah apparently i'm really good you should come and watch me
0: Brilliant.
1: Yeah. And uh, and that was it. That was the end of it. It was, yeah, that's Steven. He dances. And, um, you know, don't get me wrong. Like you get the ignorant people that would still try and throw a comment my way or things like that. But little did they know that those comments were just making me stronger and more determined to uh, basically give them the, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the sign to, yeah. to say, you know what, I'm on a mission. So mm. you can join me and watch that mission or, you know. Yeah. Goodbye. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, right. you know that was the road I I chose. Um, so yeah, any bullies out there, just remember you might be trying to to make people crack, but a lot of the time you're just fueling them exactly. to become even better the, at what they're doing. So exactly. uh, just don't waste your energy bullying.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I remember feeling that. I remember feeling that when I was younger. Like you're, uh, you when you when you have such a drive and such a passion and motivation, you, you sort of don't even. Break the surface, um, stuff like that, and um, and and just before I, I keep forgetting to say, but um, it appears we have another similarity in, in the way that because my mum and dad actually met through motorsport as well, but a different motorsport. It was um, it was biking, um, so uh, bike racing. Uh, the used yeah, to meet cool. at, at bike rallies and stuff, rallies and stuff like that, and obviously my mum rode a bike. She's from Wales, and my dad uh, rode a bike, in, and he's from from Salford, Manchester. So yeah, it's 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 funny That's that cool. it's 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 crazy. Um, and 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 for me, like obviously rugby's, you know, sort of a bit more closer on the spectrum I guess to, to bike racing and stuff um, but you know they were massive rugby fans or you know I don't think my mum even really knew what rugby league was um, but <laughs> it's, it's sort of similar I went down to play rugby and, and I sort of noticed my child mind as a neighbour playing with rugby and I thought that looks class that looks brilliant let me get into that um, and then noticed that I was Really enjoying it and, and 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 doing really well, and uh, and went from there. So it's 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 um, very similar on the other sides of yeah. the world on the other side of the spectrum, um, and 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 on the backer the uh, the the idea of masculinity and stuff um, is there like because obviously the the world that I operate in is is sort of stating the way that f- to be a man it's to to be macho, it's to, like you say, to not talk about your feelings, it's to, um, you know, I, I don't know, the, the, to to be big, to be tough, to be rough, all this sort of stuff. Um, is there a sort of, um, I've never really explored this and, and you, you might never explore this too, but in the the ballet world, is is there a sort of idea or concept or preconceived idea for, for what a man should be like, or is it a lot more flexible? And is it is it just sort of a lot more at ease, really, with with what that is?
1: Mm. You know, traditionally, the the man was almost seen as holding the ballerina up. You were the you were the the support. You know, you you just made sure she looked wonderful, and and that's it. And you know, still, I believe with the classics that we still perform and things like that, um, I believe that is. Most of the time, my job when I'm on stage with, you know, world class ballerina, um, I want her to feel amazing. I want her to look amazing. And um, that's my my focus is to make sure the ballerina is looked after. Um, If you're not on stage with her and it's just you, of course, then you focus on your own thing. So traditionally, there's that masculine, feminine role in the classical ballet. Well, in the more modern works, um, choreographers are far more. Um, open and experimenting with um, you know without being like gender fluid or anything but um, allowing the the male dancers to express themselves much more as well so um, choreographers have created many more ballets that have the male dancer as the lead role and things like that um, which you know originally that was not the case Um, and that has enabled you know certain discussions to be had or certain issues to be raised and put on stage for people to you know to interact with but also to get them discussing things a bit more as well so to obviously see a male in that iconic role um telling a story rather than just being a bit of a prop um, obviously it changes the discussion a bit Um, I've been very lucky with choreographers that have enabled me to create roles that you know, tap into that traditional male role of just holding the ballerina up, but then also exploring, you know, a male role um, as the as the central focus of the ballet. So, uh, yeah, it's a. Uh, I think our world likes to label everything, and uh, all the stigmas that exist. People like the stigmas because then they can they can uh, separate everything and be like, oh, he's a dancer, so he's obviously like this. And, oh, he plays rugby, so he's obviously like this. Um, but unfortunately, that comes just from a pure lack of understanding or a lack of education in that world. I can't expect everyone to understand the dance world, um, just as I don't know the ins and outs of every detail of rugby league, even though I grew up in Australia. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we watched rugby league virtually three or four nights a week on TV. Oh, wow, Yeah. So, I know a fair bit about rugby league, um, but <laughs> you I got not look at Keith Galloway. <laughs> yeah. I do not know the ins and out technical details at all. So, you know, yeah. I don't even pretend to know. I, I know anything about rugby league, mm-hmm. but I can still look at that profession and appreciate what I can possibly connect with in some way, rather than just shutting it down and mm-hmm. saying that's not for me.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and I think that's, you know, that's probably my biggest hope <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> is that, uh, people in life start to do that a bit more. You know, yeah. I'm not, I'm, it's impossible for me to understand everybody's situation and everybody's walk of life. Um, but I can try and at least, you know, appreciate that that's their walk of life. And mm-hmm. that, that's great.
0: Or you know, stand beneath the surface of it.
1: Yeah. I don't need to just yeah. shut it down and, um, you know, we can all learn from each other, can't we?
0: Yeah, for sure, mate, for sure. And and in in terms of your art, is that? I think it's more like you talk, talk about the modern side of it. It's that sort of more leaning into like how contemporary is, and, and it's sort of more fluid in, in how you can move and and choreographers create stuff. Um, where do you find yourself lying in that? Do you prefer the the more sort of? Um, created for for you and, and and different stuff or do you prefer the classical side of it which is a bit more structured and yeah. a bit more um, sort of given
1: uh, I, I honestly without sounding like a politician i really enjoy both because uh the classics for me they're like a real test of of your your capability really so a classic is like a, a benchmark i guess you would say so you know, the traditional ballets like Swan Lake or, um, you know, Sleeping Beauty and the Nutcracker and stuff like that, all the great artists that have ever performed have all performed those ballets. And it's, it's, it's the benchmark of classical ballet, really. And there's, there's a right and a wrong sort of thing yeah. <laughs> with those kind yeah. of ballets, um, you know, like certain positions that you need to land in. It's like in gymnastics. You either execute it well or you don't. And uh, so that I think is a good, um, a good way of dancers gauging where they are in their career to be able to do those classics. Uh, whereas the modern works, having stuff created on you, is it's far more individual and unique. You can you can explore your own talents and push beyond your own boundaries without being confined by oh, this is a traditional ballet and this is how it should be done.
0: Act in a certain way, yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. So you could really like let loose and and fly off the wall and and, like choreographer can say, oh, try this. And then you can just throw something at them and they go, yeah, I I had (laughs) not thought of it that way. But yeah, let's try and do it that way. Mm. Um, And I think as as an artist rather than an athlete, uh, that's where it That's Mm. where I think dancers uh, really. Focus on trying to achieve that moment, you know, having that moment to to create something rather than just replicate what's already been done Um, but then i guess you can directly link that straight away into sport you know there's always this discussion that dancers artists or athletes and um, i think it's dancers and athletes are both you know an athlete is also an artist what you're creating on the field um you know i'm sure it's been said by commentators that certain passes or things that you know oh, that was poetic or you know yeah, yeah, that that yeah. was you know that was a masterclass uh, you know that was this or that um, i think we're all athletes but we're all artists as well you know you as as sportsmen um, without probably even knowing it are telling a story on the pitch you're making that audience feel something you're you're giving them that rush of adrenaline and you know you're entertaining them. They're walking out of that stadium either on a buzz from like their team winning, or you know ah, what they didn't win. And um it's it's entertainment. It's it, it's all art and it's all sport.
0: Yeah, and that that's like um everyone will leave with an altered version as well um of it. You know, exactly. It's yeah. like what they've made up in their mind. I guess that what is what art is um, not not being the biggest. And I'm artist. sure
1: you've come off the pitch before and off the field and, and thought you know what that was one of my best that I one of my best matches mm. and then your coach has ripped into you like what were you doing there what were you doing there bah, bah, bah. Yeah. and it's the same with us I've come off stage before and thought you know what that was terrible like oh my god like I need to just get into the dressing room have a shower and get home and not see anyone mm. and your coach or your director will come up to you and go that one was one to remember that was a good one mm. you think hang on was i was i performing the same performance that, what was he seeing um, yeah it's so again it's how people perceive it and what they choose to see um what they want to see um yeah.
0: and something something that springs to mind straight away mate, is 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 one of my best mates really he's um he's an Aussie too it must be an australian thing um but he's uh, he's is cuff boy he's called adam cuffbush and he's Mate, he's expressive, really expressive. He he does painting. This is actually one of his paintings behind me,
1: actually. Yeah, I've been looking at that. It's really cool.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's it's one of his paintings. And um, I've got a few knocking around the house. He does, does obviously, art in different ways. And it will be one of those that is up at half four and he thinks, right, I'm going to go and paint and paint something. Got an idea. Exactly, (laughs) yeah. And and, and the way that he plays as well on the field is that sort of, like we touched on earlier, um, is that sort of um, expressive unorthodox um, in-flow sort of like just you, you don't know what's what's going to happen with him and that's the way that he needs to get into to his game into his funk if you like that is the way that he plays the game and going away from that he doesn't like it and it's probably not the best for, for the team you know he needs to be on for how how he plays and, and 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 that needs people around him to understand you know how he plays as an individual and 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 that is an artist as well as an athlete I guess which yeah is, yeah. is, a, is a really interesting balance um I've given him a big shout out there i'll have to I'll have to give him a lot of avoc after this and just tell him he's a he's an idiot. <laughs> yeah um so, yeah, yeah, that, that, that's maybe maybe we maybe we get maybe we have to do a number two where we talk about um being an athlete or an artist that'd be a really interesting dynamic. We're not even touched on touched upon there you that. go. Um, yeah, and and I guess it leads into the thing that I parked a bit earlier, um, and into the the question for what um what I wanted to ask and what I want to ask everyone in fact that, that, that I do this with. Um, but I'm Without stating any more, this can be mentally out, outside of, of, of you know being on stage or the arena, um, but also being on stage. Like, what does it mean for you to be on, and what is it to you to be on, so to speak?
1: Yeah. So something I I have to be aware of and 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 manage sometimes is uh, control. I like to be in control. I am a control freak. Um, You know, I know there are no guarantees in life, but I like to do as much as I can to know that a certain path is at least heading where I want it to go. And I think anyone who is driven probably has that trait about them. So for me, that feeling of being on is where I have got myself into a state of self-trust that I know I am in control, but I'm still open to allowing the unknown happen and not let that panic me or freak me out. And when that does happen, those are the performances that you get that insane like otherworldly feeling where you're doing things or you're partnering the ballerina or whatever that you hadn't rehearsed. You just happen to be in sync with your partner or you and the conductor just suddenly merge as one. And you feel like, like the music is just pouring out of you and the steps are just happening. Um, It's, it's a feeling that you can't really describe. um, But using, you know, that word control, I feel like, you are in control, but just widely open to using all of that knowledge and self trust that you've had to build up mm. and really um, exploit that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, would you say that's similar for like, like as you are now, like off the stage, would you say, like, as a mindset to, to be off? Would you say that's like a similar sort of uh, ingredients list for that as well?
1: Oh, definitely. Like even right now, for example, we have my wife and I have three young children and my daughter, uh, we're doing homeschooling now during the lockdown. And even, you know, with that scenario, I feel like I'm on top of it all um, when I have a good structure in place and the children are thriving off that, but you're also completely open to going with it. So if the kids kind of guide it a certain way, You have enough trust in yourself to go, you know, I'm going to go with that because I know I can bring it back and we'll still get this done uh, and make it work for everyone. Whereas when you're not quite in control, you start to feel like you're flapping a bit and you think, "Ah, I'm not achieving anything. And um, it directly links to everything, doesn't it? You know, um, that on feeling is a lovely feeling to have, but it's unrealistic to expect to have it all the time. Mm,
0: Yeah, it is. So that's something you've got to get used to as well. And once you touch that and once you sort of, um, get that feeling. You need to know that it's not going to be there forever and there's going to be ups and downs and, and the um the, you know the dreaded think, oh, I've got to get back to that place and, and, and everything. I was just wondering off the back of that as well, is there any, anything that that you do to to kindle that? So is there things that you might put into your routine? So it might be a, a practice of meditation. It might be yeah. something that you you might structure your week. You might write in a diary, you might journal. Um those are sort of physical things. Um that obviously obviously help um, outside of of, of, of of art and dance um, is there is there anything that you can think of that like when you look back you think oh yeah I've had that in place I've had this in place I did this this morning um, do you know is there anything that you can think of on, in terms of that
1: yeah well over the years and I think this is most certainly an indication of maturity uh, that that sort of um, routine has evolved so when I was younger I I got into a very much borderline OCD routine. If I had a performance, I would follow a strict regime or a pattern of what I would do that day. And, you know, I had to eat a certain meal and it had to be the exact same meal at a certain time, a number of hours before the performance. Um, if I didn't have that, per- that meal, I would be in a flap and be <laughs> thinking well, there's no way I'm going to do the same performance now. Um, and I had this whole routine and it was quite frankly, it was. bit ridiculous. Uh, Thankfully, I managed to eradicate that. Um, Now, it is genuinely all focused on self-trust. So, you know, each situation that you're faced with um, is that particular situation that you have to deal with. So, you know, people probably have this vision that a dancer rehearses a particular ballet, you know, a thousand times before they go on stage. The reality is Sometimes I've stepped on stage to dance with a ballerina that I've never even touched before. It's just because there was an injury that day or there was an illness and you just have to make it work. So just before the curtain goes up, you're like, okay, just remind me, what version do you do? Or do you go to the right or the left? Or, um, and that's it. And you just got to make the show work. And uh, when you're in those situations, self-trust is more valuable than ever. Um, and I really just try and get myself into that mental state, warming up for a performance of, you know, I've devoted my life to this career. I train every day. I, um, I'm doing everything I can to be open with my coaches to try and develop and to get better and stronger and all this sort of stuff. Um, but ultimately, some of it is out of my control. You know, the human body is the human body. You know what it's like. You wake up some days and you're in a good mood. Some days you wake up and for some reason you just, you're agitated from the second you open your eyes. That's just the human body. That's all the chemicals in our brain and everything. And unfortunately, you can only control a certain element of all of that. And uh, the day I really acknowledged that and just said, you know what, every performance is going to be completely different, but I trust myself enough. To go out there and do my best I will make something happen I will make it work in some way yes it's never ever ever going to be perfect because let's face it that just doesn't exist um, but I, I try to take a bit of the pressure off myself and say you will do your absolute best in that moment with all the thousand you know circumstances surrounding you and uh, that enables me, I think, to step on stage with a little bit more ease, which enables you to then have a bit more control. Yeah. So it taps back into yeah. that control element. Paradox. Um, it's like a paradox. Um, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And and on giving is, into it in order to have control.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. A strange. It's not sort of like a a lesson that I guess can be taught to, you know, you can't really go and tell someone yeah, I think I think that, that comes on into the next sort of the question where it'd be um for that is that purely from experience um do you reckon is that like the experience of not eating that that meal or not eating a certain amount of calories and then going out performing but then going Look, I'm really good today I, f- I felt really good and and I felt really you know I felt like everything went right is that is that sort of the catalog that you need to be able to get that self-trust or do you think you can? Do you think we can speak to a a young rugby player, a young a young dancer, and say, look, think of the places that you've come from, the places that you've you've achieved, and and where you've got to think about the experiences where something was put on you that you couldn't control, but you still managed to get the result out. Do you think there's a yeah. bit of that as well, or do you think it's a bit a bit of both? Might be a bit of both.
1: Yeah, I think it's a bit of both. To be honest, um, you know, I don't think you have to necessarily have gone through your entire career to then be able to say, Oh, I've had all the experience. Now I know how to, to handle myself. Of course, experience is probably the most valuable tool and you know, you can't teach experience. Um, but I think people can try and relate all these things to the different stages that they're at in their journey. So, you know, if you're a young 19 year old, you've still got 19 years of life experience that you can try and relate it to in some way. Um, you know, whether that's relating it back to doing you know, a maths test at school, it's having the self-trust and belief that, you know what, I've studied as much as I can to go into this exam. Um, even if you only studied for one day, you're like, well, I only studied one day, but that's what I did do. So I'm going to rely on that bit and uh, at least try and get that bit right in the test, um, you know, relate it to something that that, that you've done. Uh, but yeah, my own experiences have definitely um, fueled the learning curve, so to speak. It's it's uh, fascinating, you know. But it's it's that's that's experience is the most valuable lesson really.
0: It is, yeah. And, and what you touched on there, like the the example of like the, the thinking about the studying or um, you know, the talking to the sports psychiatrist, which we've just done a podcast with him actually last last few weeks. Um and it's sort of an example of that, sort of finding your own motivation, digging into your motivation, what you've had from all your life, and then finding a way to focus it um, and, on what you're going to do. And that's really important as performers, as artists, to be able to do that and, and to keep doing it, especially going through injuries, um, as, as I am myself, as you are yourself. It's um, a massive, massive part of it, and um, I think that is a tool that, that you need. And well, yeah, I'll, I'll probably give a shout, and, and you might want to have a look as well. Actually, Stephen, uh, you know the the bits that we've done. I've got the models um, online as um, a bit of a pack for people if they want to download it on mentalitymagazine.com and and, and go on and, and go through those models, find your motivation, find the focus for it, and um, it's, it's 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 really helpful stuff. It has been helpful for me too. Um, so yeah mate I um, I think there's definitely I think there's definitely a part two in it I think there's definitely some more conversations we can have I've already had you I've already had you for an hour and 40 minutes mate Um, so you know a blessing of lockdown has allowed us to spend time and and chat to each other and find the similarities and and hopefully lessons that we can pass on really really appreciate having you on board Um, and
1: um, I just hope hope people will uh, you know allow themselves to, to think in different ways and um, you know, acknowledging that you're not 100% right all the time yeah. um, is actually a really strong and, and empowering thing to do. So yeah,
0: and that's a spot that you can keep go talking. From to exactly keep talking keep exploring keep experimenting I've been doing a bit of experimenting myself at home and um, in this lockdown life with what I enjoy um, and, and speaking to you mate has been it's brilliant really really motivated me so what a pleasure it has been to, to chat with you mate
1: oh, it's been a pleasure meeting you thank, thank you for you having me. me
0: thank you mate hi hey guys I hope you enjoyed the podcast as much as I did Stephen really is an inspiration. We went on chatting for another hour and a half after the podcast and we really have shared values in how we want to make the world a better place going forward and in specific, the athlete slash performer world, a better place. I really find these open and honest chats truly invaluable and I hope you do too. It makes me happy that people tune in and taking what we have to say right to the end. You guys do not understand how thankful I am to be able to do this. Also, something else before you get off. We have put a free Cultivate program out. It was a 14 day challenge, which we are just currently over halfway through. We offered 70 lucky people the opportunity of a free 14 day version of the Mentality Cultivate program. The feedback for this trial has been absolutely outstanding. I've been blown away by the strides forward people have taken and huge life realizations people have just made in over 7-8 days. Because of this response, we have decided to offer the full 28-day Cultivate program at a ridiculously cheap introductory offer because we want this powerful program to reach as many people as possible. The 28-day commitment will take you through a process devised by me and the mentality team, including the incredible knowledge and tasks by Dr. Alan Johnston. The program works towards you understanding what your most fulfilling life could look like and giving you the tools to build the resilience, bravery, insights and habits that will allow that fulfilled life become a reality. If you are feeling slightly lost in the woods, not sure, what your true purpose is in life, then this program is for you. If there is a part of you that is needing a reason why to progress forward or a compass to help you forge your next steps, then please count on yourself to seize the opportunity that has the potential to put your life firmly on the track you want it to be on. There are limited spots available at this price. Choose to invest in yourself now so you can change those four, five out of 10 days to an average of 8, 9, 10 out of 10s. This is a taster of day six on the Cultivate Challenge. Enjoy. Today, I want to talk a little bit about emotions. We all have them, but a lot of us won't have paid too much time to understand them. Emotions are strong feelings that arise in the body. And all through the process of growing up, we would add meaning and associate reasons for this feeling and we would conceptualise why it's there. We now provide a framing for the emotion and we can attach reasons for why we might be feeling a certain way. For instance, the actual physiological feeling in your stomach that you get as a youngster when your high school crush comes up to you and starts a conversation could be the same physiological feeling if you are sat in hospital and you receive some bad news about a relative. These feelings become different emotions because of the cues that we make out from the particular environment and different situation that we're in. With the task that we do today, we might get certain familiar feelings and emotions that come up. Be aware of them and accept the emotions and feelings, but also be aware that we have the power to intervene here and possibly reframe a situation and open up new possibilities for ourselves from there. A lot of the time, things can teach us and inspire us. We just have to look past the labeled emotions long enough to see that. Maybe there is some good that has come from the particular situation. Maybe there is some connection you have made or a lesson that you have learned or a passion that has been born. Maybe there is still something that you can learn from it and progress with now. Every one of us will have had adversity in the past and every one of us will have grown from it. A lot of us might have grown from it unknowingly. If this is the case, it's really rewarding to understand that and reflect too. I have been through some tough shit. I've sometimes been isolated in what I've been going through too and people don't understand it. But when having got through it, I've made some of the best friends by having commonalities with different people. My dips in mental health have allowed me to make best friends for life. The way that I perceive the world has been the main thing that brings me and my partner together. For me, living a fulfilled life means that you can share connections and share meaning between you and a partner after opening this up. And having that special bond is priceless. In my experience, Only from having the confidence and courage to look at what I've been through and accept the hard times and know that I'm being authentic is a massive part of self-acceptance and that's when you can make true connection I feel. There may be times that you have failed and done something wrong. You have to look at the ways to forgive yourself and unearth passions that you have got from these moments because enveloping that into what you are today and putting your hand up again and again to hit the arena with the possibility to fail again is where strength really lies. I have a painting in my house that my mate Adam Cufferson painted for me and on it is a quote it says, in battle lying dead, he was stripped of his valuable armor and left naked on the ground. Now is the time. I saw this quote as he sent me in and around 2017 Grand Final when I played with a dislocated shoulder. The importance of it for me is that I felt stripped. I felt stripped those few days after dislocating my shoulder and I felt so far at the bottom of the barrel. I was so vulnerable and empty of all the shit and of all the stories that we tell ourselves day in, day out. It was just me and the emotion me and the possibilities of hanging up my boots and quitting the game or going and winning a grand final for me it was all or nothing and from that moment it was the time and I seized every second that I could completely free of nerves I just went at it like there was nothing to lose I ended up making the most tackles in that game and played the full match we won the grand final and we celebrated after it We have a choice amongst all of the stuff we feel and amongst all of the stories that we are involved in. I am so grateful for that episode because I know that power is available and ready when you need it. And it showed to me that I could be vulnerable enough to go to these depths of despair and tell my coach and tell my parents that I was going to quit. I could be vulnerable enough to be in pain and to allow all of these feelings that I had and to accept them. This in turn allowed me a choice. It allowed me a space to make my decision for what I would do next. What would I forcefully choose to do? No man can be called weak for being vulnerable and then acting from it. I hope my story creates a physical picture in what is possible for us, all of us, amongst the chaos and amongst the dips in motivation. When we can clear up some of the things that bother us and reframe the past, we have governance to make our own decisions. Now's the time. If you would like to reserve your place in the membership programme, please email dom at mentalitymagazine.com That is dom at mentalitymagazine.com with Cultivate Commitment as a subject email and let us know your name and why you are interested in the programme. As I said, there will be limited spots for the group that will work together, so do make sure you're involved so that we drop you a line straight away when we are ready to go. Thanks for listening, guys. Now's the time.